Section 6, NFTs and Web3 Plumbing. Get used to hearing the term Web3 because it could eventually replace crypto as the go-to moniker for the decentralized tech movement. It plays better to new audiences, it's less scary sounding to regulators, and it's a faster and more accurate meme. Mason defined Web3 as the paradigm shift towards a more democratized internet governed by the collective. Chris Dixon says Web3 gives us the chance to upgrade networks into crypto asset-centered economies and build systems where the incentives of network owners, network participants, and third-party developers are fully aligned. I like those definitions. Re-architecting internet services and products so they benefit users rather than gatekeepers is a clear and urgent mission, and Web3 accurately captures the breadth of what we're attempting to rebuild. For that reason, I'm starting the second half of this report with a section on the Web3 apps that exploded onto the scene in 2021, non-fungible tokens, the networks with likely 2022 breakout potential play to earn games and decentralized social networks, and an overview of the physical plumbing of our future metaverse. In investing, there's a saying that early equals wrong, which is why it's important to drill down on the sequential build-out of Web3 and see whether now is actually the time some of these networks might finally come to fruition and win big. Linda and Reese seem to have similar mental models that match mine. The 2020 DeFi boom supplied the throughput infrastructure of self-custodied, permissionless trading like routing and bandwidth in Web1, which allowed NFTs to take off. The explosion of demand for NFTs plus DeFi pulled forward demand for more scalable Layer 1 and Layer 2 blockchains earlier this year. All of that will spur growth in DAO infrastructure in the new year. NFTs provide on-chain identity and reputation for DAO contributors. DeFi gives DAO members massive liquid pools of capital to govern, and scaling solutions will make on-chain governance economically feasible. In Web3, Cryptocurrencies, Chapter 3, and NFTs, Chapter 6, are the digital goods of the new economy. DeFi, Chapter 7, is the native financial system. Layer 1 Networks, Chapter 8, are the rails that power everything. And DAOs, Chapter 9, are how the frontier gets governed. It's all coming together, and it's going to be absolutely beautiful. Section 6.1, NFTs, Digital Goods on a Global Ledger. Let's start with the breakout asset class of the year, NFTs. Yes, they're likely like ICOs of this cycle. Sky-high hype, crazy volatility, lots of early lottery winners, and complete garbage. But as a new asset type and class, they will transform the world. NFTs are cool because they represent verifiably scarce, portable, and programmable pieces of digital property. An NFT could be a share of a stock, a virtual sword, and an MMORPG, a profile picture on social media, a new digital art piece, a plot of land in the metaverse, or your data record on Facebook. The potential for NFTs is essentially unlimited as blockchains become global transaction ledgers for both natively virtual property and physical property, or at least their digital receipts. The real-world version of an NFT might be something like the deed to my house, verifiably scarce. If I could prove ownership to my insurance company by signing a transaction in a wallet that holds the receipt of my deed, digital representation of property, I could grant access to the house for Airbnb guests with the NFT, programmable, or I could take out a home equity line of credit and pledge the NFT as collateral on a peer-to-peer lending platform, portable. That comes later. The toy version will come first. I sign into a VR casino with my virtual ID, verifiably scarce, and pull up a chair where the dealer recognizes my avatar as TBI, Digital Representation of Property. 
Since this is my 10th time at the casino and I've been on a heater, my player's card is shining hot, programmable, signaling that other players should come join my table, which the casino likes and decides to send me a virtual drink ticket. That can be redeemed at Uber Eats, Drizzly, or any app that recognizes those NFTs are credits. Portable. If you have a little imagination, you'll see that the opportunity is ginormous. I'd encourage you to watch these two 10-minute explainer videos if you want a good visual primer on how NFTs work and why we've recently hit Euphoria. It will set up the rest of this section, so it's okay to take a break from reading. We're on page 100 now, so I'll allow it. Welcome back. I hope you've been red-pilled, especially since NFTs are so intuitive. Even the NY Times gets them. Here's Ezra Klein in an op-ed this summer, saying, Think about it this way. The internet we have allows for the easy transfer of information. We costlessly swap copies of new articles, music files, video games, pornography, GIFs, tweets, and much more. The internet is famously good at making information nearly free. But for precisely that reason, it is terrible at making information expensive, which it sometimes needs to be. What the internet is missing in particular are ways to verify identity, ownership, and authenticity, the exact things that make it possible for creators to get paid for their work. If a big part of our future lives are spent living in global, virtual, interconnected worlds, the metaverse, then NFTs are some of the primary building blocks for everything in that world. You don't want to live in a virtual world where your entire identity is at the mercy of a big tech cancellation tribunal. This is intuitive if you've ever switched social media platforms and had to build back an audience and reputation from zero. Or if you've ever purchased virtual goods in a game but then realized that the game maker controls all of the trading rules and you can't sell the goods you've earned or take them elsewhere. Or if you're a believer in VR but shudder at the prospect of getting unpersoned in Mark Zuckerberg's meta-dystopia. More later. NFTs can, should, and will transcend their underlying blockchains and metaverses. You also don't want to live in a virtual world where everyone looks the same and there is no recourse for identity theft. So you need some third parties. To avoid sameness, you need scarce digital objects which have real value, and you'll likely be willing to pay talented creators for provably unique goods. For illustration, take the case of 1,000 unique South Park avatars available to mint for one ETH each. You'd be able to send ETH to the SPA NFT contract and mint a new cousin for Cartman and TBI, but only if the contract state reflects that fewer than 1,000 avatars have been minted so far. Thanks to the ERC-721 standard, these little South Park misfits could function the same way as any other NFTs trading on that standard on the Ethereum blockchain. That's a 100x improvement over how most virtual goods are bought today, through centralized, siloed platforms like gaming giants where scarcity is in the eye of the game makers alone. Contrast that with NFTs, which 1. Connect users to a universe of creators, 2. For lower fees, while 3. Giving both parties provable ownership of their virtual assets across 4. Any platform that trusts the blockchain. In many cases, the assets themselves can even evolve over time. This is true whether we're talking about digital art, digital identity, community memberships, gaming goods, or financial assets. It's not about the individual assets, bruh. Almost all of the smart folks in crypto agree that most NFTs will go the way of most 2017 ICOs to zero. But some early projects will succeed at tremendous scale, and the asset class as a whole will explode over the next decade. 
NFTs will impact every sector of the economy, and kids will own more stuff that look like NFTs than physical items. You must understand the impact NFTs will have by 2040, even if you don't care about them today. Let's start looking into the future of NFTs, brick by virtual brick. Section 6.2, a $69 million Mona Lisa JPEG. Regardless of whether you are bullish on NFTs as transformative new technology, you might be aghast that people have been spending millions of dollars on JPEGs. To understand why that's not completely crazy, we should start with the most famous piece of art in history, Da Vinci's Mona Lisa, and consider its fundamentals, its history, rarity, mimetic value, the artist's reputation, and the underlying market dynamics of the physical asset. Sure, the Mona Lisa is the most iconic piece from the most famous artists of all time, and was acclaimed for its uniqueness even among Da Vinci's contemporaries. Most importantly, though, it has a number of off-chain attributes that make it pop. Its home is the world's most famous museum, the Louvre. It was the target of the most famous art theft of all time. It's become a meme and fixture of pop culture in and of itself due to its simplicity and that mysterious smile. Other people want to take their picture with the Mona Lisa to collect a social media travel merit badge. And as the most famous attraction in the Louvre, it's arguably a capital asset too. The Mona Lisa sparks tens of millions of dollars per year in tourist revenue. In short, it's a cool painting with a cooler backstory. Know anything like that in digital art? Beeple's Every Days, the first 5,000 days, has all of the critical elements to make it digital art's Mona Lisa. Famous artist? Check. Beeple's had 2.5 million followers at the time of sale. Proof of rarity? Check. It will be incredibly difficult to replicate as the mural represents the culmination of 14 years' worth of daily dedication. Novel backstory? Check. It wasn't stolen, but it made history as the first major NFT art piece auctioned through Christie's. And the sticker price itself, $69 million, contributes to the art's rarity. Even if Beeple's artistic reputation took a hit in the future, it wouldn't change the novelty and fame of his everyday's initial sale. So is this a one-off, or is Beeple's success actually replicable? Let's look at the underlying market dynamics in digital art. Physical art is a $1.7 trillion asset class with $60 billion of annual sales volume. At the end of Q3, NFT market cap was just $14 billion, according to DAP Radar. Excluding profile picture collectibles, we'll get into those in the next section, digital art NFTs have represented less than $2 billion in total sales to date. So NFTs are still less than 1% of the physical art market, and digital art is just one-tenth of the total NFT market. Do those numbers remind you of any other four-year-old asset? Despite the froth of today's NFT market, this early flight from physical art to digital art could end up looking like 2013's Bitcoin bubble, which crashed 80% plus in 2014, but also marked the beginning of Bitcoin's decade-long ass-whooping of physical gold. Bitcoin's market cap crossed 0.1% of golds in November 2013. Wouldn't you know it, the non-collectible digital art market is now 0.1% of the physical art market. I predict that the digital art-slash-NFT market crash will eventually be even more nauseating than the 2015 Bitcoin bear market because these are highly illiquid assets by definition. But the 10-year trajectory of the overall market will be the same, 100x+. plus. That said, before you ape into digital art, there are a couple things to keep in mind. Bitcoin's market cap may have managed a 100x in 8 years, but if you held through the thick and thin, you made just 60x in price terms due to dilution from newly minted Bitcoin during that time. 
In total crypto market ownership terms, you only made 30x because other new crypto assets like Ethereum hit the market and ate into Bitcoin's dominance over the past few years. I bring that up because the design space is significantly bigger in NFTs than in fungible cryptocurrencies. Even if you invest in a Beeple original or another top-tier project, it's probably going to be impossible to keep pace with the growth of the total NFT market cap. As such, the winning long-term plays I like in the NFT space are infrastructure-related, which will outperform by a wide margin the expected value of even the bluest chip NFT projects. Investing in infrastructure in a niche-like art, e.g. super rare, might not outperform the eventual top 1% of NFTs, but your expected value will be higher, it will save you lots of time, and you won't need to be a tastemaker to have success. As NFT infrastructure expands in every feasible asset category, the infrastructure space becomes especially appealing. I'm happy to invest in more NFT infrastructure. If you're raising money, please keep me in mind. As an aside, if you go to the Louvre, you'll see that the wedding at Cana is about 10,000x more impressive than the Mona Lisa. I spent 30 seconds looking at the Mona Lisa and 90 minutes staring at the wedding at Cana when I visited. Vinoz is my guy. That thing took serious nights and weekends work. He was around the same age when he painted it, and by the time he finished, I'll bet he hated those 130 people he painted as much as I hate this report. Section 6.3. PFPs. Punks versus apes. If you're looking purely at aesthetics, Beeple and other digital artists are probably up your alley. But you'd be missing out on the bigger movement in NFTs surrounding community-owned collections of profile pictures, or PFPs, which have exploded to $5 billion in sales through Q3 this year. PFPs derive their value entirely from their early communities and their memes. The visuals themselves are underwhelming. The 100 Ether Rocks selling for seven figures each are literally based on free clip art, but hundreds of thousands of people are spending real money buying into PFP communities to signal that they A. have gotten in on the joke early, B. grok the full history and context for NFTs and why these particular PFPs are worthy of investment, C. desperately need friends and have plenty of money to burn, or D. all of the above. It makes sense that we'd see interest and enthusiasm for PFPs take off. They are perfect for crypto Twitter and the emerging metaverse. PFP projects with engaged, talented core community members that contribute to the project's culture and economy, like Punk's early NFT adopters, will attract other members. Their owners might even receive preferential access to new projects and events, share community earnings through airdrops, take on governance tasks, and leverage their PFPs as capital assets if they become sufficiently liquid. If NFTs continue to rally, more influencers and celebrities will want the oldest PFPs with the rarest attributes, earliest on-chain records, and strongest memes. CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, and Pudgy Penguins could represent a major component of one's digital identity and pseudonymous reputation in the future. I can't believe I just wrote that. Just like brands rely on memes like slogans, images, brand ambassadors, etc. As intangible assets, crypto collectives could leverage NFTs in similar ways as they have a way of wrapping entire subcultures in a single public PFP and gated discord. It's hard to grok PFPs unless you embrace that these mematic virtual goods are everywhere already and they are part of our identity. As Fred Earsom told Vanity Fair, Imagine you live on the internet. 
The way the world primarily knows you is not through your face or your clothes, it's through your digital avatar. Of course you're willing to spend a lot of money on something like a CryptoPunk. It's your face to the digital world. Plus, it's the key to enter a small, unique internet club. Being a CryptoPunk owner as a crypto native is the equivalent of being an Augusta National member as an old-school business person. CryptoPunks are valuable simply because they represent the first PFPs to be minted on the Ethereum blockchain, a historical reality that will be impossible to displace. The 10,000 pixelated punk JPEGs, each with different combinations of attributes, are a part of crypto history. They have a miraculous origin story as they were fairly launched, then largely forgotten about, then resurgent due to their unforgeable firstness. The NFT boom, the viral distribution of punks' Twitter profile pics, and their rising prices made them attractive objects for status signalers everywhere. I encourage you to read the full interview about Punk 7804's history, which was sold by the founder of Figma for $7.8 million earlier this year. Again, from the epic NFT 101 explainer, which I'm afraid I'm almost accidentally plagiarizing at this point, on buying, said, There was one that I got obsessed with that I really coveted, I was really attracted to. I felt like it had just total gravitas. Among the 10,000 CryptoPunks, there were only nine aliens, and of nine aliens, the one that I really resonated with was 7804, which was a picture of an alien smoking a pipe. It was totally magnetic to me. I couldn't stop thinking about it, and so I saw that the person who had it had sold a few others, and I was like, I think that if I make a big enough bid, they'll sell. And so I bid 12 ETH, which at the time was $15,000. On selling, said, I believe even more than before that CryptoPunks is art after selling 7804, which is super fascinating. And I think the reason why is after parting with it, I did feel emotional. I felt sad. It wasn't just sad like, oh man, this is the digital Mona Lisa and I can make way more money at some point. It was sort of a part of my identity. It was a mask. What are masks? They're objects that you can project identity into. And for 7804, the wise alien, I felt a bit different wearing it. Fittingly, the new owner, a pseudonymous buyer who goes by the name Perugia after the thief who stole the Mona Lisa, wrote about his purchase in similar glowing, unapologetic terms. It makes sense. If enough people associate your digital self with a given avatar, it does become a part of your identity. If you don't believe that, you'll just have to trust good old Mr. TBI himself. That's the ultimate PFP paradox. Many NFTs become an unsellable part of your identity. Every collector that becomes invested in their tribe's success wears the team jersey and becomes less likely to sell as they more closely associate with a given community or tie a given PFP to their genuine identity. This can be a good thing if the talent in the network is dense and the party is cool. Jay-Z, Snoop, Serena, and OBJ have punks. But a tricky thing if the community's values start to deviate from your own and your avatar starts to feel more like a scarlet letter. There are a few things that have mostly kept me away from PFPs. Number one, I don't know what I would do with a PFP and I'm holding out hopes that I'm a meaningful contributor to any plans the South Park creators may have going forward. Not gonna lie, it will be pretty disappointing if I'm not involved given my avatar hasn't changed in eight years, which is four years more ride or die and rare as your average punk. Number two, as someone who's organized conferences and curated communities of talented people, 
I can tell you a high price point is a good spam prevention feature, but not a cure-all for community quality. People will start to flock more to invite-only meritocratic groups versus pay-to-play drops as soon as we're in a non-hysterical market environment. Number three, along those lines, and we'll touch on DAOs and social tokens later, I was more stoked to get accepted into the Friends with Benefits community than anything else in the PFP realm. Something about earning acceptance versus buying access is hardwired to make us feel good, and I also think it will help mitigate the worst effects of the social token paradox, which applies to any community NFT or social token. Brief explanation of the social token paradox. Phase 1, the creation of a small, exclusive, tokenized community. Phase 2, an increase in members, the initial increases in members signaling exclusivity and FOMO. Phase 3, continued growth in members starts to decrease the group's exclusivity, but new members still desire token appreciation and so they recruit more members. Phase 4, member count rises and further decreases exclusivity, but the vicious cycle for token appreciation mandates more members join the social tokenized community. Phase 5, members exit and sell their tokens until exclusivity equilibrium is met, and so on and so forth. The cycle continues. If you're still keen on buying a PFP, you should choose your tribe wisely and be prepared to keep it as a consumable luxury good versus an investment that can be written off. If you'd rather find other ways to signal your in-group status aside from a PFP, try digital art, go back one section, bags of loot, three more sections, or a nice plot of land in the metaverse. I've seen less convincing criticisms of PFP projects, but this one seems to be a little more measured, expressing concerns that the community benefits pitch is similar to an MLM scheme. Sure, Board Ape Yacht Club and Pudgy Penguins have no unique historical characteristics that make them special, but you don't own a piece of art in isolation. It's a community, man. The problem is that the benefits of community fall off steeply once you're in the minor leagues of pay-to-join PFPs. The real in-communities will either have unassailable history or earned reputation elements. Because I have no problem starting nuclear wars with my writing, I'll end with this. Long punks, neutral apes, short penguins, and everything else. If you're not first, you're last. Unless you're porting the project to a new blockchain, then you can be first again. Section 6.4, Fan Tokens. We've covered a lot of ground in those last few sections, and hopefully I haven't lost you yet. To recap the meta-NFT thesis, attention is finite, the internet is vast, we're tribal creatures driven by mimetic desire, and we're building an insane parallel financial system that may have found a bridge to celebrities and mass retail adoption via crypto-enabled art and collectibles. When you add all of that up, NFTs allow you to own a piece of the internet. Now let's substitute the internet with your favorite entertainers in music, film, sports, fashion, gaming, etc. Fan tokens are simply collectibles with member rights. Those rights can be financial, tickets, shared royalties, or non-financial. Social signal is a super fan, experiential access, or a combination of the two. Think of what might happen with NBA Top Shots for illustration. Top Shots are collections of virtual playing cards that capture NBA players and iconic moments from the game. The dumb V1 of Top Shots? They're collectibles like old baseball cards. But how about V2, V3, V8? Top Shots collectors might get invited to VIP players' events in the offseason or to the NBA All-Star Game. Maybe they'll earn entries in a lottery for courtside playoff seats for their favorite home team, or have a say in the league's new jersey designs. 
or in music, let's say you bought one of the first 1,000 NFTs for your favorite indie band's new album. They go mainstream, and now you've got backstage passes via your NFT for their next tour stop in your town. You get a split of the royalties from a Netflix documentary on their rise. In fact, your NFT gives you voting rights in their DAO that voted on the royalties deal in the first place. Maybe that NFT gets you an audience airdrop. What if Lil Nas X had dropped a token? He went from 900 to 50 million Spotify listeners in two years. If you were one of the 900, would you have purchased or been airdropped a Nas token back then for helping him promote his early singles? Nas token could have tracked early, quote-unquote, true believers and allowed fans to personally share in his financial success. Win and help win is a good model for fans and the famous alike, and it's something that applies to smaller creators with much smaller audiences, or a thousand true fans, as well. EDM DJ 3Loud dropped an NFT and made $12 million. A group of documentary producers raised $2 million to tell the story of Ethereum. Creator tools like Substack, Newsletters, and Callen Podcasting are making it easier than ever to abstract away the business side of art, and I could see NFTs opening massive avenues for growth in those communities just like Mirror has already done in its battle against Medium. Fan tokens, whether they're NFTs or fungible social tokens like those available on Roll, could be what helps crypto cross the chasm into mainstream adoption as more tribes become owners. If digital art and PFPs are good news for visual artists, fan tokens unlock a whole new value stream for the rest of the entertainment industry, film, music, sports in particular. They also break down the stranglehold that LA has over film and music, better connecting up-and-comers, growing the pie for all creators, and slashing LA producer take rates by 50-75% to 75% or more. I like the Uniswap versus Binance comparison here. LA, Binance is probably fine for catering to users who only want access to the most famous acts. But if your interests lie outside of the top 100, you're likely to be better served as a fan by the peer-to-peer -peer marketplace of NFTs. That's good news for a creator economy that recently passed $10 billion in aggregate earnings and is growing 48% year-over-year before NFTs. This chart is about to go vertical with NFTs. It might be a short hop from fan tokens to initial person offerings or income sharing agreements, which are controversial but probably inevitable. I expect the boom in fan tokens to lead to a creative resurgence, interest and feasibility of ISAs. We'll see fan tokens from promising students with the potential to drop out of college and start working in Web3 instead. Section 6.5, Axie Infinity and the Play to Earn Revolution. One reason the gaming industry has been so dominant in the entertainment industry, bigger than the movie and music industry combined, has to do with its early embrace of the internet's new mediums, streaming and business models, freemium and virtual goods marketplaces. It would be ironic if those same studios miss crypto, especially since the pace of growth and revenue generation in crypto gaming isn't theoretical anymore. It's mind-melting. Consider the economics to Ethereum's top three revenue-producing apps in the past quarter. Axie, OpenSea, and Uniswap. Axie and OpenSea generated more than $500 million in revenue in the past three months. Uniswap was next with about $475 million. After that, both Axie and OpenSea were each larger than the next five Ethereum applications combined. Axie's growth is finally showing signs of flagging, but the play-to-earn gaming trend it pioneered is here to stay. The amount of money these platforms have raised is nuts, and they're set up for a full cycle of iteration and development regardless of whether the sector's frenzy subsides next year. 
A16Z poured $150 million into Mythical Games. Engine announced a $100 million gaming fund. FTX and Lightspeed invested $21 million in Fairway Games on the same day. As crypto gaming is having its moment, there's an innovator's dilemma playing out at the incumbent game makers. Steam has banned crypto. Epic Game Store will tentatively welcome games that make use of blockchain tech, provided they follow the relevant laws, disclose their terms, and are age-rated by an appropriate group. But even the most enthusiastic incumbents are unlikely to face a seamless Web3 integration. We saw how quick and extreme the backlash might be from anti-crypto users when Discord even teased an NFT integration. I don't think the early reluctance will persist. My bet is that a top five gaming studio enters crypto in a meaningful way next year, most likely via M and A of other Web3 games. The benefits to being early on a 10-year trend will prove too compelling. Capitalize on the NFT craze while things are hot and get an edge on the imminent talent war for all of the market leaders to sit on their hands. A slate of small transactions might allow the incumbent to sandbox an ecosystem of bets and work out the kinks before bringing the tech to their full universe. It's not just opportunism that will drive them. The threats posed by inaction are real too. Today's gaming giants generate $120 billion in annual sales with a 100% default take rate. Compare that to Axie, a meg game not even available in app stores. Its play-to-earn model reduced customer acquisition costs to zero, attracted millions of users, and a $10 billion market cap in less than a year. That'll wake them up. No gaming CEO wants to get blockbustered. This chart should be on the first slide of each game maker CEO's board deck going into 2022. Section 6.6, Looted. Composable NFTs. Words on black text. The loot sale this summer was a Rorschach test for NFTs. You either thought it was the brilliant introduction of a new composable NFT primitive for digital gamers, or you thought it was Billy Madison tier stupid. It was probably a little bit of both, honestly. But there were a couple takeaways I had from loot that were positive. VC emergency newsletters, for instance, should be minted as NFTs for the lulls. Something like loot sure seems like it could be the backbone for a new line of Web3 native games. If you look at the amount of money being raised for digital goods, a critic might point out that this is more likely to amount to a massive wealth transfer from ETH investors and punters to creators and decentralized gaming studios. The virtual goods for most of these new fantasy games will likely look and feel the same, yet different communities are sure to sell the same abstractions as their Web2 counterparts. Is an Ember Sword going to be compatible in every other game? Perhaps, but why pay for the sword in the first place if you can buy the loot sword and every single game maker builds an abstraction that honors and recognizes the value of that item? Cynics probably are underappreciating how big a loot-like project can be, and I say that as someone who hates the V1 and the fact that otherwise rational people have bid up lists of words at the same rate as a company others have built over four years. Ahem. But I'm not a hater. The big takeaway I have on loot echoes what I said on PFP communities more generally. People who were three weeks late to loot but relatively early otherwise to the world of crypto gaming seem unlikely to honor or value a single project's wordless drop to a bunch of hoarder VCs. I'm fairly certain there will be a superior play-to-earn version of loot that employs a meritocratic cross-game fair launch of goods.
It could be structured as an airdrop to other serial crypto gaming grinders or incorporate a play-to-earn point system that tracks new gameplay commitment across any projects that opt in to the new composable list of goods universe. You'll find Loot's successor when gamer influencers write threads on the project, not the breathless crypto Twitter speculators. Section 6.7 NFT Financialization Unique assets are less liquid than fungible assets by definition. That creates some challenges when it comes to price discovery in the NFT market, not only for secondary sales, but for virtual asset collateralization. There's been a few early attempts to tackle this challenge head-on, and it will be one of the most important areas of NFT infrastructure development in the years ahead. NFTs are insanely volatile, and there may not be bids for many of these assets in a bear market. Is it even possible to borrow against NFTs while also hedging out the idiosyncratic price risks of specific projects and pieces? Maybe, but only if you can get lenders comfortable with baskets of these assets. Projects like Whale bundle a collection of NFTs from a single collector and tokenize access to the portfolio. Pleasure DAO and Party DAO are building collective bidding infrastructure that helps groups start public auctions for NFTs, fractionalization by another name. Pricing derivatives and collateral off of floor prices could be disastrous, as many floors actually have no bids at all. The Punk Floor token, on the other hand, seems like a better approach. It's a bit of a misnomer. The token aims to track the price of a mid-range punk by aggregating and fractionalizing ownership of 104 punks of varying rarity. Floor could conceivably be a buyer of last resort in bear markets, flight to the most liquid collection, and an inventory seller in bull markets when bidding is most competitive. In the meantime, the token trades at a 20% premium to the punk floor price today. Not bad if you want access to punks, but don't have 500k lying around. Reminds me of Matt Levine's hottest take on fractional NFTs. Owner slash securitizer. I bought this unique pointer to an image of a dog for 400 million. The public. Ah ha ha, good one. Congrats. Money well spent. Owner securitizer. Also, I will sell fractional ownership interests in it for like $225 million. The public. Ah ha ha, another good one. That joke is worth $225 million to us. Here you go. It's two jokes, so it's worth 55 times as much. I don't know. I'll admit, I had trouble wrapping my head around how NFTs, which are not one-of-one mints, could still fractionalize their ownership effectively. But there are multiple real-world analogs, timeshares, and subletting in real estate, rent the runway in fashion, personal seat licenses in sports, etc. It will take time to get NFT fractionalization right, and I predict we'll see some seismic blow-ups from projects that overestimate the value of their collateral, but long-term this will be huge unlock for the crypto economy. It starts with PFPs, art collections, and metaverse land. Section 6.8, OpenSea and Friends. Over the past 18 months, OpenSea has enjoyed one of the fastest revenue ramps of any business in history. They've gone from a seed stage startup to a potential decacorn, and I think they could eventually be a $100 billion company or network if they continue to execute. This chart highlights their massive run rate PL. Numbers like this are why Coinbase plans to enter the market, FTX is already there, same with Gemini. Legacy companies like GameStop are salivating looking at those numbers. Sotheby's might even go direct. It's validation of the size of the emerging NFT asset class rather than a bona fide threat to OpenSea's business. 
The bigger question to me is not whether OpenSea and other pure play NFT marketplaces succeed, but rather how they do verticalize over time. Answer might be straightforward. OpenSea and virtual good pure plays may dominate in the virtual goods realm, while exchange-affiliated NFT marketplaces dominate on the financialization side. You'll buy and sell punks and Decentraland plots on OpenSea, but you'll buy and sell floor tokens and mortgage land tokens on Coinbase or FTX. In that way, the SEC's hostile crypto regulations could be OpenSea's strongest tailwind, as there will be no need for an NFT marketplace to cross or even step up to the securities law line given the explosive growth across the rest of their platforms. Leave the landmines to the exchanges and their in-house broker deals. Again, I'm an early investor. I would like to invest in more NFT infrastructure like OpenSea. Section 6.9, The Cryptoverse. Matthew Ball defines the metaverse as a virtual realm with seven qualities. Persistence, a permanent, always open global hangout. Liveness, real time just like the physical realm. Uncapped user presence, a stadium vibe. Economic robustness, NFTs are the goods, fungible tokens are the currencies and commodities. Relevance across digital and physical worlds, no walled gardens. Interoperability, portable goods, identities, IP and user-driven evolution. Content and experiences are created, curated openly versus through a central company. If you believe there will be places like that and appreciate that we'll be spending more of our time there in the future, it's probably obvious we'll ascribe progressively greater value to digital goods versus physical goods. The only question then is which direction will the metaverse evolve? Will it be Citadel-centric, big tech, walled, garden-dominated, or frontier-centric? open, cloud-based, and crypto-secured. Allison McCauley's piece comparing the recent Decentraland and Roblox festivals illustrated the near-term differences we can expect to see between the two, saying, Over the last week, two simultaneous global metaverse festivals took place, giving us a glimpse of the competing sides of today's battle for control. One was produced by an established gaming player, the other created by a decentralized metaverse pioneer. Roblox, a company with 2020 revenue of $924 million, held the first virtual music festival on the Roblox platform in partnership with music event producer Insomniac. At the same time, Decentraland, an open virtual world totally owned by its users, held its first metaverse festival. Both events gave us a glimpse of how digital technology can enhance the experience of attending an event how live performance can be smoothly integrated, how exclusive experiences can be woven in, and how we can now congregate no matter where we live at global scale. Yet they also gave us an indication of the trade-offs ahead. The Roblox experience was nothing short of slick, with the high-budget design of corporate digital experiences. In conjunction with the Electric Daisy Carnival, EDC in Las Vegas, the virtual experience not only integrated EDC's live stages and impressive lineup, but offered games, virtual tents, and artist meet-and-greets. Decentraland's festival was carefully designed and orchestrated with sets from more than 80 artists, including Deadmau5, a merch store for NFT wearables, and even digital portable toilets. The Decentraland festival felt like the community project it was, more creative, less produced. Yet what's most striking about Decentraland was happening behind the scenes. In this world, people can directly own and cultivate digital land. They can conduct commerce directly with other participants, and instead of relying on a corporation to run the world, its users govern policies of their own through a decentralized autonomous organization, or DAO. 
Anyone who hasn't stepped foot in one of these festivals might think there's no scarcity in digital art because you can right-click save the JPEG. But what the right-clickers don't get is that this will be both technically and socially impossible in the metaverse, where digital art, avatars, land, etc. are all seamlessly tied to the blockchain receipts. Could you imagine going to the Decentraland party in a knockoff dress? What if the real owner showed up? While she walked around with a literal glow of authenticity, your fraud would be exposed on the spot as a blinking red cone of shame hovering over your avatar. How gauche. When it comes to the metaverse, my money is on the cryptoverse near term. The Citadel's medium term, and in the long term, it's a coin flip. Let's talk about why. Section 6.10. I said metaverse, not meta. The metaverse doesn't have to be a dystopia. With a Web3 backend, we can live in a world where designers compete in a competitive fee-for-service marketplace for rights to host you and monetize your data. We'll make it 100 times easier to sell your data but keep 20% of your profits seems like a fair medium-term bargain that will entice users to the cryptoverse and pressure Web2 companies to lower their take rates. I don't see modern tech giants offering compelling alternatives to crypto when it comes to the open metaverse, but meta is an exception. An incumbent like Meta, with its Cash Cow, Blue App, and Instagram, and its under-monetized other products, is an interesting player in the metaverse because it can afford to experiment with new monetization models and user incentives under some of its massive digital-first product lines, Oculus, WhatsApp, and Messenger, without jeopardizing its core ads business in Instagram and the Blue App, which more closely tie back to our real-world identities. I, like the rest of the internet, have a lot of thoughts on Facebook slash Meta in general. I agree with Chow that the goal with the renaming is to move away from the toxic Facebook brand. I agree with David Snacks that the media's witch hunt of Zuckerberg reflects their own bad behavior, which is orders of magnitude worse. I also agree with Bailagi that Zuck's resilience is impressive, and he's worth betting on and believing when it comes to the Meta pivot, up to a point. Yes, Zuckerberg might be the only Roboticon on the planet who could have made an earth-shattering announcement like Meta's feel more cringe than exciting. But $10 billion per year is a mammoth, necessary investment that will lay the foundation for the metaverse much like the rollout of fiber optics in the early aughts. Meta could brute force the path for hardware, graphics software, and mobile bandwidth to the point the metaverse becomes truly immersive. I've been excited about what Facebook might build in the VR since I outlined my first virtual octagon with the Oculus Quest last year. It was a moment of tech euphoria that I experienced only twice before, taking my first Uber ride and reading the Bitcoin white paper. I'll be more excited if Meta keeps its promise to keep its metaverse work open. The company's success will hinge on its sincerity, and that should be its preferred path. Owning the dominant platform of the only inhabitable land yet to be fully settled, the cloud, is orders of magnitude more valuable than owning a single citadel on that land. I think Zuck knows this, and he's saying the right things. Ben Thompson's interview with him is worth reading in its entirety. Section 6.11, Non-Fungible Credentials, Your Modular Identity. Since 2018, I've been intrigued by the concepts of curation markets and token-curated registries as a digital replacement for credentials. NFTs may prove to be the missing building blocks that finally make them work because they, one, granularize achievements, two, have technical specifications that will make them easy to integrate across a variety of platforms, and three, are composable, which means they can evolve over time. Take a digital diploma, for instance. 
In the 1.0 world of token curated registries, these diplomas would reflect a binary pass-fail outcome, and it was easy to corrupt the integrity of the diploma by bribing your way onto the registry or inappropriately discriminating against an otherwise qualified candidate via mob rule. NFTs would make things a bit different. Instead of starting with an overarching credential, the diploma, NFTs would start with each discrete item on the rubric. Did you complete this degree becomes, did you complete this question? Did you complete the 100 questions to pass this course? Did you complete the 20 courses necessary to attain this degree? That's 2,000 discrete NFTs for one diploma, and the top 500 might determine your major. Moreover, we can use things like rarity attributes to ultimately solve the subjectivity problem in credentialing. Your NFT might have different attributes if your work was deemed best in class or top 5%. At the same time, I think NFTs will be the technical backbone that ports the real-world credentials and identifiers to the new world. You won't need to enter your driver's license every time you need to prove your identity. Your digital signature will unlock access to the NFT of your license or your health record or your insurance, etc. We're talking about a 1000x improvement in the portability of our identities and the consistency and comparability of our credentials. The potential to visualize credentials and reputation via artistic representations of your NFTs is eye-opening. At a virtual meetup, you might choose to showcase credentials directly on your avatar's lapel. A speaker or VIP might wear an NFT registration badge. At a social hangout, you might choose to wear a different reputation. Isn't that all a fashion to signify status, looks rare, or humility, an ESG brand's virtual apparel? NFTs are literal pictures worth a thousand words of Resume Inc. One of the biggest trends we'll see in 2022 is the move towards meritocratic, earned NFTs. If your crypto wallet becomes universal digital identification, then NFTs will represent all of the subcomponents of your identity. Composable membership, earned semi-transferable NFTs, and yes, TCRs will come back. Section 6.12, Namespaces and Data Sharing. Two more building blocks of non-fungible identity are worth noting. The decentralized domain name services and the data marketplaces that will make personal data relicensing trivial. Crypto domain services are an obvious killer app for managing Web3 identities. One of the building blocks of internet infrastructure has been domain name registration. Web domains made IP addresses human-readable, and the same will be true for many blockchain-based addresses. If PFPs make digital wallets more visual, registries like ENS and Handshake make them more interoperable and trustworthy. Nearly half a million ENS names were registered before the protocol's billion-dollar airdrop to its early users last month, and it's conceivable that the network could rival or surpass centralized DNS maintainers like VeriSign and its $27 billion market cap one day. VeriSign manages nearly 85% of the world's 200 million websites today, but the domain space for identities in Web3 could be two to three orders of magnitude larger, as there are 40 times as many people as websites, five times as many internet-connected devices as people, and a lot of global citizens who won't necessarily trust VeriSign given decentralized alternatives. Clear identifiers will also make it possible for people and their devices to extract value from their data. According to the International Data Corporation, less than 1% of the world's data is actually used and analyzed, even though the amount of potentially useful data doubled from 20 to 40% from 2012 to 2020. 
With the market for data analytics swelling to nearly $100 billion by the end of next year and case studies like Netflix $1 billion big data slash consumer retention investment becoming more widespread, companies and users alike will want to better monetize their data. In Web3, protocols like Ocean provide the wrapper for these data packets by encouraging public sharing and secure monetization of data and better price discovery via liquid data markets. The addressable market is FAMGA's ad revenue, and then some, so there's a lot at stake. Section 6.13. DSO Lotteries. What happens when you combine PFPs, permanent.eth identifiers, data composability, and data marketplaces that price data packets with AI? You get a decentralized social network and potential lottery-like rewards for early and viral user-generated content. Web3 social media seems like an inevitability these days and may already be here with the advent of projects like the literal decentralized social, formerly BitClout, Twitter's Blue Sky, and GM.xyz. It isn't obvious which early networks will take an early lead or demonstrate true staying power, though. Decentralized Social raised $200 million from A16Z after raking in a small fortune in sales from its clout token, rebranded to DSO token, and is paying that forward with a $50 million fund of its own to spark community development, but the UX is clunky, and I doubt pay-to-tweet is a sensible model. Core concept is sound, though. Reward any user that goes viral financially. TikTok got this right. Boost users' early posts to get them hooked without the token rewards. A Web3 startup will get it even more right with financial rewards. It's not just users that will benefit either. DSO protocols will incentivize dozens of competing developers to build services that compete for the right to host users and their data, either via token incentives, attention farming, or killer products that optimize for things the user actually wants and is willing to pay for, such as personal growth, safety, peace of mind, etc. A front end could recommend follows based on owners of other similar assets and NFTs, allow you to sell or auction NFTs directly from your user profile, or create a better social graph. I could see Adobe's new Prepare as NFT feature in Photoshop minting a ton of early winners in DSO's viral Olympics. Content credentials are certificates compatible with NFT marketplaces like OpenSea, which prove an art source's authenticity and 100x's the ease of creation and distribution of new NFTs. Naval put it best when he said, DSO is waiting for its Satoshi moment. Right now, the field is wide open, and I'll be spending a lot of time on the up-and-coming platforms in 2022, GM. Section 6.14 the physically decentralized permanent web. We can make all the pie-in-the-sky predictions we want about crypto taking over, insert industry, and being an unstoppable force. The truth is that our physical survival depends on the decentralization of hardware. The war against censorship resistance will be fought in the cloud, and how effectively we wrest control of that infrastructure from today's dominant monopolies will be the difference between an open internet and a police state. Of the various components in the Web3 hardware stack, decentralized storage is arguably the most robust. Unlike its predecessor BitTorrent, which relied on required content to be hosted on local servers, IPFS offers a novel decentralized system which allows any node to store data. But these nodes must empty the content they pin or cache eventually, which led to the introduction of Filecoin, an incentivized storage network built on IPFS that verifies the network is storing the data it says it will. 
the first blockchain project dedicated to file storage, Filecoin Creator Protocol Labs garnered a massive treasury, which is used to fund a laundry list of other projects, accelerators, and developers. Filecoin leads its pack of competitors in terms of the data stored on its network for now, though they are hardly alone. Arweave and Sia emerged this year as formidable competitors. Each network uses its own blockchain, or in Arweave's case, a block weave, as the foundational layer for their decentralized data and app storage solutions. These networks make different design trade-offs, but can generally be bucketed into two categories, on-demand storage, SIA and Filecoin, versus long-term storage, Arweave. Even though data stored on Arweave comes with a premium, since the user has to pay for lifetime storage, the protocol has gained traction in the NFT landscape as a permanent solution for storing NFTs and their metadata. Arweave has become the preferred storage layer for Solana NFT projects in particular, which led to a spike in Arweave's network growth over the past two quarters. Arweave applications like Koi and Kive are enhancing the potential services that Arweave can provide to other blockchains and users. The centralized storage is a key layer of Web3 infrastructure that will steadily gnaw at the margins of existing internet infrastructure providers, particularly with the rise of decentralized storage aggregators like Filebase and Pinata, which provide the interfaces, optimizations, and service layer needed to offer custom storage solutions to new customers. CD Web3? Just as Coinbase offers DeFi services from protocols like Maker and Compound, these abstraction services will make Web3 storage protocols more accessible to new audiences. Section 6.15 Physical Network Scaling A truly decentralized internet also requires permissionless and censorship-resistant hardware networks that support computation and networking. In last year's thesis, I said right now, Helium and its long-range Internet of Things networking marketplace seem like the early favorite to break out. You're welcome. Helium is one of the strongest performers, plus 3,000% within the Web3 sector year-to-date as its global wireless hotspot network continues to attract huge partners like Dish, who announced that they would begin to deploy Helium's new line of 5G hotspots. Helium has a variety of partners producing a dozen types of its miners, proving that hardware can be scaled effectively using token incentives. Hardware is a tough business model, and Helium showed how effectively hardware businesses could bootstrap expensive two-sided marketplaces with the right user economics. Similarly, decentralized video transcoding protocol LivePeer continues to gain traction and accrue fees as a result from its rapidly growing video network. Within the Cosmos ecosystem, application-specific blockchains like Acash continue to expand and produce early signs of sustainable network revenue as they match developers who deployed their Docker containers at a significantly reduced cost to cloud providers like AWS or Google, and data centers who can rent excess capacity similar to Airbnb for data. Other hardware networks like Andrina and Althea, pre-tokens, are tackling the internet service provider layer by enabling communities to set up hotspots and antennas that bring internet access to nearby towns. While LivePeer operates on Ethereum, Acash, Helium, Arweave, and other hardware-intensive networks have chosen to build out their own blockchains. As the world moves towards its all-but-certain multi-chain future, expect these hardware networks or their more effectively decentralized competitors to serve as a foundational layer for the uncensorable internet.